lovely little song um that was who was that muriel that was the hidden cameras, cameras. music is my boyfriend that that's CanCon, right it's, it's cute sure okay yeah. um citr 101.9 fm this is the ink side show the radio show where we talk about comics um my guests today aren't well one's a cartoonist but we're not talking about his cartooning today. Uh, I've got uh, Dustin Harbin from the comic store Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, as well as uh, one of the principal organizers of Heroes Con in North Carolina. And the other gentleman has been on the show, I guess it was, what, April? Uh, Chris Butcher from the Beguiling Comics, also uh, one of the main organizers of the Toronto Comic Art Festival. And I think today... The idea is we're going to talk about comics retailing and uh, kind of come up from the angle of how small press can get more involved and also looking at what is going along with comics retailing. Um, It is a changing market and field. So have I got you there, boys? Hey, yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm here. Chris. And we got Dustin there, too? I said I was here. Okay, you're very quiet in comparison, Dustin, so you're going to have to be uh, a little louder on the phone because, unfortunately, I can't separate the uh, phone lines. It all comes through one channel. So. I see. Is this loud enough for what I'm talking right now? That is good, my friend. Okay. That is good. I will try to blast you as, as much as I can. <laughs> all right. That'll be excellent because when I'm loud and talking over you, uh, I'll just talk right over you. It'll be great. But I thought I would be the loud one to talk over. What? Never Technology mind. says otherwise, Dustin. Shush. Let's go. <laughs> this isn't working out. This is a bad idea. <laughs> You're ruining all the Canadian-American stereotypes. Chris's store is in Toronto, and Dustin's is in Freedom, Freedom Land, 
North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, we're all free down here, so yeah. whatever, monarchy, commonwealth. <laughs> <laughs> we like our queen. Um, so how about we start out just introducing you guys and um, what you got going on, um, for lack of a better term, um, maybe a little bit about your the story you're involved with. Um, we'll start with you, Chris. Okay, yeah. Uh, my name is uh, Christopher. I am Sorry. the manager of the, the Beguiling. And, uh, yeah, we, um, we've been in business for 23 years now doing comics creator events and, uh, and selling uh, basically every kind of comic. But uh, we're more known for independent and alternative and art comics, uh, as well as manga now. Uh, that's kind of my fault. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. We've been doing these events and stuff for, for a number of years. And uh, right when I got hired on at the store, or actually before, I you know, came up with the idea of doing a, uh, a sort of a show like an SPX or a MOCA or something like that, but in Toronto, uh, and focusing primarily on Canadian cartoonists. And so I actually came on, I was doing that and working with the store on sort of their events and things like that, and then came on as the as a manager afterwards, uh, and actually ended up working in the store again. But I've been, you know, retailing comics and, and doing events and in the comics industry for very, like, 20 years now, I guess, uh, which is what? terrifying. 20 years, really? Yeah, seriously. Wow. I've been a retailer since I was 15, so I'm 30 now. <laughs> and uh, before that, I actually used to make mini comics and drive to all the conventions and stuff and sell them myself. This is like before even SPX and stuff. So wow. yeah, it's been a, oh, it's been a long time. That is that's uh, so you that that'll add to it because you've been through the uh, the the mid 90s debacle. Oh man, for yeah, lack I was of actually a term. I was hired. Uh, on at my first comic book store job just before, uh, I actually just wrote about this, just before the industry collapsed, basically, and, and Di- Marvel bought Heroes World and Diamond Rose Prominence, so uh, I actually got to see it both ways. And I've been on the uh, the other side of the mini-comics, the, the convention table, selling comics and stuff like that, selling my own stuff, so yeah, it should be a really good, uh, it should be a really good event talk today. And Dustin, tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Dustin Harbin. And I, uh, like Christopher, started uh, working here as a hard to find in '96. I think literally a couple of months before Marvel bought Heroes World and the whole all that. Although I think the crash was kind of already happening by then. But um, and uh, I've worked there for the last 13 years uh, with a couple of breaks, and I now do mostly the um, uh, creative director type stuff, design and marketing and. Um, I actually don't work in the store as much anymore, so I'm not directly related with the ordering except for some of the mini comics and so forth. But it's a um, it's unlike the Beguiling, which is an amazing store, oh, especially for someone like me that's into uh, indie comics. Um, our store is more superhero based, with a edging into more like art and literary comics. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our nut each week definitely comes from like you know New Avengers or. Or uh, whatever the Batman is, or you know, having a hard time even thinking of those uh, <laughs> those series. That, you know, Spider Pat, whatever the popular um, superhero book is. But um, yeah, and I work with uh, Heroes Con um, as one of the organizers under Shelton Drum, who is the uh, the owner and founder and uh, and boss man. And uh, and we have like the store been edging into the indie world as well, which is. Um, of course, more pleasant for me, um, being interested in that world myself. As well as you are a branching more into doing mini comics, you're kind of going the opposite direction of Christopher. Are you saying how I'm, <laughs> I'm turning from a retailer into a cartoon? <laughs> yeah. The opposite way. I would suspect that if Christopher used to make uh, comics, he may one day make them again. It seems like a hard thing to give up forever. It is. It is. It is. Uh, I've got so go. many half-started and abandoned sketchbooks, man. It's uh, it's awful, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something I love doing. But I actually really love working with other cartoonists too, you know, and and pumping their stuff like like Dustin, and uh, and that's what we do the festival. I didn't actually plug I didn't actually plug TCAP. I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt. TCAP is May 8th and 9th this year, so we hope you all will come. It is in Toronto. You can find out more at torontocomics.com. Okay, I'm done. I'm done <laughs> I'll be there. All right, awesome. I will also be there. I hope. There we go. Anyone who's... I don't know, cool. man. We didn't accept your uh, application yet. I don't know if you're Dustin. That's why I said I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Good. 
precisely what I'm hoping for. My and, application be accepted. And and <laughs> briberies are kosher. Uh, uh, yeah, we're, uh, they, they won't take my American dollars. I keep sending um, my American checks up there, and they keep coming back. Uh, they write NSF on there. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's Canadian territory. <laughs> I, I think you should more focus on a barter system. Nice. I don't think I have anything that anyone in Canada wants. Well, I'd be a citizen. Now, uh, Dustin mentioned the you know the mainstream stuff is a is the core goods. Is that the case with the beguiling or not so much? Uh, it's interesting actually. The store's gotten uh, the the walls between what what kind of comics you know, sell to who have really actually broken down over the last 20 years in a lot of ways mm-hmm. where, you know, for a long time, there seemed to be a lot of like, I only read, you know, eight ball or I only read love and rockets. And I don't read that superhero stuff, but even, you know, you look at, at both of those guys and they've got a lot of affection for especially classic superhero stuff. So, you know, I think that as people, as comics, you know, become more mainstream just as a medium, uh, I think that those walls are breaking down a little bit. I know that, before I started there, years and years before, like it was just like a hardcore, you know, this is this is what we love and this is what we do. We'll carry this other stuff. We won't really like it. <laughs> and uh, it started to change a lot when the current owner, Peter Burkamo, bought the store 13 years ago. And it's changed even more since I got there because all my comics retailing background was from a pretty heavy superhero-y, vertigo-y kind of place. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely changed a lot for us. Uh, we love our Wednesday customers who come through and have to be there every Wednesday to pick up stuff. But... You know, you're starting to see more people who aren't just picking up Marvel and DCs, and they'll grab a couple of books that are, you know, that are out there as well that would that would appeal to people. Like, you know, whether it's Hellboy, which is sort of a its own institution at this point, or even something cool like Chew, or, or you know, some of the cooler Image comics, or some of the cooler Indian alternative comics. And it's it's nice. It's nice when you see stuff like that that sells to that audience because, to be honest, those guys are in every week, man. They drive a lot of the business, uh, and they make it so that we have a more consistent dollar coming in. You can't go wrong with that. That's something I find fascinating about comics is it's one of the few m- retailing things where you have like this day that you're guaranteed customers. It's weird. It's such an, I, I mean, music kind of has that with Tuesdays, but not so much anymore, obviously, because no one buys CDs. Um, but And music is leaked online weeks, if not months, before a release day, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, uh, definitely, if not months. Maybe uh, we'll jump into and into the the small press aspect of how what what has been successful for small press folks getting their way in to comic stores into stores like your guys' stores um because one thing you touched on is you both are involved with comic conventions and i have this weird thing in my head where i kind of see comic conventions as i they're fun party time see all sorts of stuff different people are doing but in one aspect, it's almost a limiting thing because your your customer base is whoever attends that comic convention in some ways, and then from there it pilfers out. But I kind of wonder, you know, the differences. Maybe I'm making my question too big. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I want Dustin to go first because I just talked for a little while. Dustin, you got anything? Um, I, I'm trying to, to work my way backwards through that question. <laughs> yeah. uh, let, let's start out with with what's been working for small press stuff. Um, making its way into the stores? Well, the, the, the best way, that, for one thing, having someone who actively wants to stock that stuff is, is the, the first and most necessary thing. You have to convince a retailer that, that they're going to make some money, or if not make money, at least build the diversity of their store, make their store more attractive to, like what Christopher was describing, a, a burgeoning you know, diversification of clientele, like where we have like a thousand percent more women shopping randomly in the store now than when I started, or a thousand percent more, you know, lawyers and businessmen or moms and, you know, just just people that didn't used to come in the comic book store typically are now there, and I think having a a rich stock helps that. So one thing is just having a, a, a retailer who's forward thinking on some level and wants to attract that. But the biggest thing, speaking conventions to me, is meeting people in person and giving them your, I mean, just give them your comics. Just be like, hey, I want you to see this. I'd love to stock it in your store if you have time. We can talk about it, you know, in a, um, in a uh, non-aggressive uh, kind of way. It really drives me crazy when someone 
uh, turns it into a guilt trip. Like, why do you guys not carry my? I mean, it, it, yeah, it is the surest way to then forever not carry that book, just like out of spite. It's the difference between, it's the difference between persistent and being obnoxious. And uh, man, more cartoonists could learn that difference. Uh, like, we appreciate persistence. We appreciate that you like believe in your art and you want to be professional about this. I want to make sure that we carry it, but. At a certain point, we are going to do it, or we're going to not, and continuing to, you know, like the guilt trip or the or the asking every month, you know, if we if we did get in the store, how's it selling? You know, like it's it's, dude, you're one of like ten thousand items I've got in the store. I I can't afford a fifteen minute phone call with you every week. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, the phone I hate to, I just hate the telephone period. But getting phone calls about that is is almost like a guilt trip too. Like I have to stop what I'm doing and hear a pitch for a thing or the people call sometimes to point out that their book is listed in previews which is tough with when an email is perfect for that like okay i can look at this or not based on my time my schedule i don't have to I, i'm just allergic to the telephone now that may be part of that problem <laughs> i can see the hives breaking out right now it just maybe me being a spiteful bore i guess but but and yeah. actually, the thing too is that I mean, realizing that you're, we're talking to retailers, they're really idiosyncratic. I mean, Dustin and I are pretty progressive uh, mm-hmm. in the spectrum. We're in the the upper fifth percentile of percent progressive retail people. But you know, I, I know I know there's a couple of retailers I like. There's one uh, Jim Crocker who uh, who runs Modern Myths. Uh, has a great couple stores actually, and he, he's a good guy. I like I like chatting with him at industry functions and stuff. But uh, I think he's totally crazy as well because if he gets an unsolicited email from someone. Uh, promoting their book he just promises to never ever order that book ever again uh that's insane like, that's totally insane uh but he runs a great store insane. but at the same time i know people conflict. because he wants he wants people to call him and that's like his idiosyncratic thing and i could point out dozens of other retailer like you know like weird idiosyncrasies you know, the, the, <laughs> like dustin hates talking on the telephone and uh <laughs> and chris doesn't want to talk to you at right all <laughs> yeah exactly so it's just yeah i mean the other thing you got to realize is, I mean, you're selling to people who are basically entrepreneurs and small business owners who didn't like the way things were running and decided to do this for themselves. I mean, you're going to run into people that have very strongly held positions on things, and uh, the best you can do is be professional and smile and not take up too much of anyone's time and, and do your best, you know? Like, you can't get too bent out of shape about any, any aspect of it. One thing I was thinking about the other day is, like, because I do a radio show and I occasionally review things nowhere near as often as I should, um, people send me mini comics and I get all these mini comics. I was talking to uh, one of the local retailers, Lucky's Comics, and uh, Gabe there, he he'll you know pub- he'll sell pretty much the stuff I talk about on the show, like very similar tastes and stuff. And he's going down to Ape, um, you know, this weekend to go and see these mini comics and wonder like how much of this aspect should folks actually be getting these comics into your hands instead of just sending an email going, hey, check this out. Would that... Um, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt. Uh, if we see something that comes into our store that we really like, we'll go after that person and try and get it in. But for the most part, there's so many minis out there, and the interest level in minis that we find to be dwindling a little bit, except yep. amongst the, sort of the initiated, that... You know, like, we, we kind of just want to start turning people away. Like, we used to, when I started working there, go to shows and search out cool minis and pick them up and put them in the store. But now it's just like, you know, we're waiting for the absolute cream of the crop to come to us just because there's so much material out there. And we're already devoting, you know, three or four times more space to the minis than, than they're actually selling to justify just because we like having cool, good stuff at the store you're never going to find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of bring in an idea, then, of... Um folks need to kind of re-examine how they're presenting their work? Oh, I could, I could go on for hours. Oh, it, oh, it doesn't talk, though. <laughs> what was that? What did you say? Does that bring an idea of how people should present their work or maybe re-present their work? Well, I think I'm, having sold my own minis, too, Christopher, they, they do have a pretty open-door policy over there, which was... No, no, you mean, you're doing great stuff. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it was just, it was really nice. I was, when I was at TCAF last year, I was there with um, some of the CCS guys like Joe Lambert and Alec Longstreth and Chuck Buck, and it was really like, hey guys, come after the show, bring your minis by the store. You know, we bought like five each of all our stuff, and it was really cool. And it, may, it makes you feel valued too as a, as a someone who's, you know, it's like if you ask a girl out on a date and she says no, obviously you're going to feel a little crummy. So all the yeses really add up over time. I that might s- not be the, the best uh, metaphor in the world, but um, 
What I was going to say is the with the convention component is um, being able to get something and then look at it later, um, even if someone just drops it off of you, and then you can look at it and decide to contact them is um, is key for me. And also, as a convention organizer, and I suspect that Mr. Butcher might feel similarly, um, I feel compelled to support the people that uh, purchase table space at our show as well um, out of some kind of loyalty. You know, like, oh, this person comes to our show every year, whether they make money or not. Um, I'm going to buy some of the things. I'm going to stock them in the store so our customers can get exposed to that kind of stuff. And it's kind of a, a self-perpetuating loop. You know, the, those people then go out and promote our show and their appearance there. It's just, you know, like a community thing, which I think many comics is kind of based on. I don't know if anyone is getting rich uh, making many comics, but it is like a, a, a very interesting and, and egalitarian way to, to enter the comics field, which is what I like about it. It, it's interesting you're talking about a couple of things, like going to the store and then you're going with like Joe Lambert, uh, Chuck McBuck, and Al Longstreth. I mean, especially Joe and Chuck, like these are two guys who their minis are little pieces of art too. So it's they're not just minis. Like I got to say, these guys step up the game well beyond oh, yeah. most people's expectations within the field. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it doesn't hurt to be hanging out with those guys, but yeah, they they definitely are are men among men in that field. Yeah, <laughs> Chris, Christopher, you want to say? Something? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I I feel similarly to to you, Dustin, uh, but not it's not exactly the same. Like, I I do appreciate that people are coming out to the show. I do appreciate that people are buying tables, but really, when it comes down to it, uh, when we decide to pick up something for the store after TCAP, it's like, you know, I. I respect that it's more of a business thing than a, than a just a support and team comics thing. Uh, honestly, it's like these guys drove up from North Carolina or even further, and they wanted to come out and promote their work, and they wanted to, you know, show it to people that live in Toronto and people coming from around and saying, you know, this is good stuff. I, I respect that. Like, as a retailer, I respect that you were trying to go out of your way to actually promote your work and to generate an audience for the stuff that you're doing. And if you're willing to come to Toronto for that, uh, which is a hell of a long way, then, yeah, I'm going to make your books available because it shows that you're putting as much work in as I am in trying to sell these books. Like, it's not just about team comics. It's about, you know, people that are that are really busting their ass to get their comics known. And I totally respect that. I, like, And that's what I want to support. Not just, you know, I, I appreciate that people buy a table <laughs> at the show. It's great. We wouldn't have a show without a cartoonist. But it's not like the reward for you buying a table is, oh, we're going to carry your books now. It's more like, Hey, thanks for thanks for putting your ass in the line. Like, thanks for coming to Toronto and maybe just breaking even on the weekend just to you know be a part of 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 this and uh, and to promote your stuff. Like I really appreciate that. I'm gonna do a quick song break and then uh, when we get back, I want to jump into um, kind of more of the business of what's going on nowadays. So, Which song yeah, are you gonna play first, me or Chris's? Well, I started out with Chris's, so I was gonna play. Um, so he got to go first. He didn't get yeah, to go yeah. first. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Beauty for brains, Dustin. Oh, oh, oh. I feel bad. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you want to hear, Dustin? You want to hear the? I guess play the sad one, Robin. Just play the sad one. <laughs> I don't know which one's the sad one. I think you do. The the Paul Simon. It's beautiful. Okay. Well, I'll cry a little. We'll be right back. Ink Stud, CITR, one one point nine FM. <laughs> Sliding away, slip sliding away. You know, the nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. I know a man, he came from my hometown. He wore his passion for his woman like a thorny crown. He said, Dolores, I live in fear. My love for you is so overpowering, I'm afraid that I will disappear. Slip sliding away, slip sliding away. 
CITR 101.9 FM, Ink Studs. Uh, just so people know what's coming up on the show in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week, my guests will be uh, Jill Thompson and Evan Dorkin to discuss the Beast of Burden uh, comic. And fans of Evan Dorkin can find hit some of his strips on Christopher's blog, comics212.net. Uh, week after that, I'll have uh, Abby Denson on to uh, join us again. She came on quite a long time ago on the show, and she's come back to Vancouver to do an event at Elstar Comics on Halloween. And on the 5th of November, I will be joined by Jeet here, um, noted comics academic, and Professor Paul Stanwood, one of the uh, docs here at UBC uh, in uh, the English department. And we're going to be talking about Robert Crumb's Genesis book, and we're going to be analyzing it and discussing it, and does it work? How you guys doing? Uh, I'm good. Good. Have I got you both there? I'm. Uh, I'm also doing good. Or uh, well, I'm doing both. Good and well. That's what I like to hear. Um, let's jump into how retailing is changing, and what do you guys think is going to happen? Um, because it's not the same anymore. Uh, apropos coming after slip sliding away, I think that's a that's a very good segue. <laughs> you picked that on purpose, didn't you? Well, I didn't know what you were going to ask me. <laughs> um, I guess the t- context is the main comics distributor minimum orders 
changing, so people have to sell a boatload of comics in order to even make it into this ridiculous catalog, which I know, uh, Dustin, you have many comments to make on the uh, uselessness of the catalog, for lack of a better term, I guess. You mean I have many comments, or Christopher does? I thought, well, maybe you both do. I probably do. I, 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 Christopher is very famously done by his live uh, blogging. <laughs> the wonderful live blogging. His order form. Yeah, he's, he's probably got a, a, a good arsenal prepared. A good ammo clip there on his belt, bandolier combo. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Senior Christopher, how do you see comics changing, and how do you see retailers need to kind of step up and change how they are ordering? Oh, Jesus. Uh, I, you know... Uh, <laughs> or is that loaded? That's a big question. Uh, here, here the, the starting point is I think that the direct market probably isn't going anywhere. Uh, and so the best thing that publishers, as well as self-publishers and small publishers can do, is really figure out how the direct market works and really put some time into figuring out like ordering cycles and talking to comic book retailers and things like that. So, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're going to be having a publishing empire, uh, great or small, definitely try and figure out the direct market because it's basically free sales. Uh, the DM, I don't know if people know this, but comic book stores file their books non-returnably, which is a huge pain in the ass in some ways, but in other ways it's great cause it means we get a slightly better discount and, you know, we, there's a convenience of ordering from one, from one retailer. Uh, this is great for, or one distributor, sorry, but, uh, but publishers love this because it means that if they sell 400 copies to Diamond, those 400 copies aren't coming back. But if they sell 400 copies through their bookstore distributor or like other distributors, they could end up with 390 of them back and then you know be out a whole bunch of money for mm-hmm. the shipping and, and things like that. So people, people, when they figure out the direct market, love it. But so many mainstream publishers do it so badly uh, that it's, it's kind of embarrassing, actually, where you see like this multinational conglomerate uh, pub- like publisher that you know, can't figure out how to work the previous catalog. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's important. Um, but on the other side of it, uh, we're finding in previews more and more irrelevant, um, <laughs> partly because I, I don't feel like Diamond is always trying as hard as they could to make sure that they're representing the big conglomerate publishers who are now doing graphic novels. Uh, the most famous example I can think of is uh, this, place, this is this publisher called Hachette Books. Huge, huge international publisher. They handle like Asterix and Tintin. They publish all kinds of stuff. And uh, they have their own manga line here in North America called Yen Press. And uh, just about, I guess, maybe five to six months ago now, um, after the order minimums thing, um, they uh, they canceled a bunch of books because they didn't, Yen Press, you know, people, comic book retailers ordering through previews, <coughs> excuse me, didn't order enough copies of those books to make it worthwhile, I guess, for Diamond to distribute. And so they didn't. And uh, we got a notice saying, hey, all these you know books that you ordered, they're not coming in. So as a retailer, we had to look at this and go, does this mean we're not going to carry them, or does this mean we find alternate distribution sources for them? Uh, and we went and found alternate distribution sources for them because we like to think of ourselves as a good full-line retailer. But what they neglected to do was uh, tell us that they were never going to solicit any future volumes of those books. So we ordered number seven, and they canceled it and said, we're not giving you number seven of this book. It's called Cynical Orange. It's a fantastic title. Uh, but then they didn't tell us at all when number eight was being solicited. They just didn't solicit it anymore. And so it became up to us to track down that book. And whether or not Yen Press didn't let, you know, didn't let Diamond know, or Diamond, which was more likely, just saying, hey, this didn't make it on the last volume, so there's no way you're going to make the minimums on this next volume, so we're just not going to run the solicitation for this book. So we find out two or three months later, you know, this book that we ordered the first six or seven volumes of through Diamond, they just didn't decide they weren't soliciting eight and up anymore, and we're, they were done. They didn't tell us, and they maybe didn't even tell Yen, which is uh, kind of hilarious. And that's the reality of ordering these days, is that not only is Diamond, who has been for, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, not only have they been soliciting every comic and graphic novel that was published for all this time, and now they're just not. Uh, but they're not telling you either, and they're not working with retailers to you know help them keep getting stuff. It's not really in their interest. They only you know they don't want you ordering from anybody else. But it's just that's the enormity of the change that's happened. And so 
as retailers, I've really had to step up my ordering game, and like I'm ordering from. We've always ordered from more than just Diamond, but mm-hmm. now the the number of monthly orders I place with different distributors has gotten has gotten huge, and it's just like you know other, another hour, another two hours, another three hours, another four hours on my ordering every month. So, you know, it's a smart retailer. I think has to start looking at all of the different alternate sources they can order from and making it worthwhile. And then in Canada, it's even harder. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. There's no consolidation in Canada like there is in the states because so many different um, publishers have different distribution agreements in Canada, and the books aren't always available. So, yeah, becoming a retailer now is maybe three or four times as hard as it was five years ago. Um, and th- with that, though, we've had you know increased sales and more people coming to the stores. Like Dustin says, there's like a thousand percent more women coming in than there used to be, and it's great. And I'm glad we have the product for them. I, I would add to that um, the, I, the, the idea of Diamond's... Um, uh, the the order minimum, which I, I'm not, if your listeners don't know, it's a, a recently <coughs> ratcheted up policy where they'll only carry. What is it? Do you know the cutoff, Christopher? Is it like two thousand? Thirty five hundred. Uh, really, yeah, it's actually so thirty five hundred retail though. Be, okay. Yeah, it has to hit a certain level, and otherwise they're not going to carry. Like the recently, uh, I think uh, Chris Pitzer at Ed House just announced that they they had to cancel the. Um, uh, FLC, is FLCL? The, um, no, no, F- FCHS. FCHS. <laughs> I was thinking of a manga. How about that? Um, because it was underwatered. So um, so it has kind of real ramifications. I was looking forward to carrying that book, too. We had those two as, as guests at Heroes Con, and the, the pages for that book look amazing. Um, yeah, it's uh, FCHS. It's uh, Vito Del Sante. He's got a lot of that stuff online, too. It's a good book, man. Vito and uh, Rachel Frere, I think, is how you say her last name. Yeah, but uh, they're they're amazing. But I mean, the book just felt Diamond's not going to carry it because there just weren't enough um, ordered. I believe that was the problem. But I don't I don't have a problem with that from a business standpoint. In the same way that I can't order every mini comic, you can't expect Diamond to order every book. The problem is that they occupy a monopolistic um, or a semi-monopolistic position within comics. So that kind of decision from from that monolithic company. Um, sends out enormous, you know, ripples through through the direct market, which used to be like six or seven or eight different distributors. I think when me and Christopher started, mm. there was there was uh, Diamond, there was Here's World, there was Cap City. There were, I mean, there were distributors all over the place, and a lot of times, New Comics Day would be spread over like Wednesday and Thursday. I think maybe Cap City stuff came in on Thursdays. Or something I think like that. it was it was originally Thursday. And then I think one distributor put, pulled it to Wednesday, and then everyone quickly moved over to Wednesday. I but, worked in a comic store from 94 to 96, just disclosure. And a bunch of old retail fuzzy duddies. Yeah. On the line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I don't even feel old. Uh, you know, it's, uh, sorry, yeah, it's... it's I, I actually do have a problem with Diamond deciding not to carry that, because, but I also have a problem with the retailer who decided not to order that as well, because, A, it's a good book and a good-looking book. And, B, that was a free comic book day book. Like, they did... A lot of promotion and a lot of effort to get the word out on that one, you know. And yeah, and that's people not, not like they made any money on that. Like no, no, like they book is pure PR. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Pitzer put out like maybe fifteen thousand copies, maybe more of that book. Like Ad House did just to try and you know drum up interest and, and support the the graphic novel release. And you know, we we were looking forward to it. I I hope that there's some way it can still get printed or published. I know that without diamond orders, it's basically impossible because. You know, they're ordering again, non-returnable. You know, that three or four hundred copies can help pay for the whole print run. Something that kind of sticks out to me is it seems like the book industry uh, or the comic book industry, there it's really like antagonistic, kind of in that aspect of how you're dealing with this distributor. And I don't know if it's the same kind of challenges in the book industry. Um, where you do have more distributors, but you have options, and you're able to work with those options. I think is that um, we what? don't we don't have this antagonistic relationship anymore at the Island because, uh, and I don't I don't know that we ever did. I, I know there's a lot of emotion invested in being a retailer and in comics in general. I mean, people mm-hmm. don't just read them and put them back on the shelf. They they really feel passionately about comics, and that's nice. Uh, <laughs> but it causes. <laughs> It causes a lot of that antagonism that you talk about, where people take bad marketing decisions really personally, or bad, you know, retail decisions really personally, uh, distributor, you know, you know, like all that stuff. Um, and I think that part of the way 
part of the, one of the things that opening the market back up by having more distributors carrying comics and having more options for savvy retailers is that you know this is not just going to be diamond fucked me and now i'm fucked like it was five years ago yeah it's diamond fucked me and now there's three other people i can go to and fix their mistake by friday and learn my lesson and not order that product from diamond anymore uh, and if i was diamond i'd be terrified of that i would be working really hard to fix the problems that they've got going on particularly with uh, with olive branch do you think uh, they which, care uh i do i honestly think they do yeah, uh, I, I think they, they realize the market's shifting really hard I, but I mean, you know, you, you move into a new facility and you've got all new staff uh, who don't know comics at all. And they've been used to, you know, it, like, I, I don't know how, how detailed they get here. This is a, this is a radio <laughs> show. But realistically, they just moved to a giant new distribution warehouse. Uh, and they're trying the to train. Pardon me? I said supposedly a state-of-the-art new uh, massive city, you know, warehouse. Go ahead. Mm. Sorry. But they're, but you know, they're training all new staff, and you know, it's it's been a month or sorry, almost a year now of, of problems, and it's uh, like like it, it couldn't come at a worse time for them to be completely <laughs> honest, just because there's so many options for us now as, as retailers, and I think that even the diehard Wednesday superhero comics retailers are starting to realize there's a lot of stuff that we can't get through Diamond that we mm-hmm. should be carrying just for our superhero customers, let alone all the other stuff that Diamond has abandoned. Uh, like, I think that they've abandoned manga in a big way. I think that they've abandoned uh, not not all art comics, but definitely the smaller presses and the indie stuff uh, in a big way over the last couple of years. So, you know, like, if you're a superhero comic book retailer and you can't get your superhero comic book stuff through Diamond, then Diamond needs to look at what they're doing. Who have you had success working with? Other than Diamond, recently. Yeah, I'd like to hear that list, too. Uh, it's all Canadian. That's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's going to be of, of use to nobody. Um, actually, you know what? Baker and Taylor out of the U.S. is really good at being like an order consolidator. They're like a, like a middleman distributor. The discounts aren't that bad, and it works out in Canada. But uh, really, we just started working with book distributors, and we're lucky enough that we're doing a volume that we can meet their order minimums. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get most of our manga through the, their, their, the bookstore distribution channels. And those are all, that's all public knowledge. And we get, you know, Baker and Taylor's really good when the dollar's strong, the Canadian dollar's strong, when the Taylor dollar's weak, it's awful to order from Baker and Taylor's. So, you know, it, it, it works out. It's it's just, we have to do a lot of juggling and pay, pay really close attention to exchange rates. And we have to pay really close attention to discounts and reorder penalties and things like that. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I can't believe that Diamond still charges a reorder penalty of 3%. Like, 3%, any other distributor, yeah. you place an order, and they're happy to get the order. Diamond treats it as a problem, and they charge us, instead of, you know, getting a regular discount, they knock three points off to punish us for not having ordered it up front, which is insane. Uh, I can't believe that the, what a backwards-ass way of doing business that is. I think a lot of Diamond's problems with their, with their policies is... is that system kind of came to fruition in the late 70s, early 80s, and then hasn't really changed that much, even though the world, the economy around it has changed tons, right? Like, yeah. uh, there's so many different ways to get, not just to buy comics, but to view comics. I mean, you could look, you could spend all day looking at comics on the internet and never spend a penny, except for your, you know, broadband connection, if it's that, or on your stinking iPhone now. Um, and so... Diamond is still very much rooted in a in a, a very brick and mortar um, uh, direct market model that 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 grew up out of you know let's sell comics somewhere beside drugstores, but has not at all moved into the 21st century. I don't think. Uh, and if you if you doubt that, if you're a retailer and go use Diamond's website and try to hunt something, um, you will be convinced in in seconds. Mm-hmm. It's the most ridiculously hard to figure out. Um, useless database on the entire internet, I think. It drives me crazy. Um, I'm very happy that I don't have to mess with uh, ordering anymore. It is, a, it is a great joy in my life, although a terrible woe to the person that took it over from me. Uh, yeah, it is, uh, it is the most intense thing I do in a given month now. Uh, even when TCAP is on, I'm still doing the ordering, and it's just brutal. Uh, so I, I feel you. Um, <laughs> I, actually, I do want to say I want to be. I want to try and present both sides of the issue here. We actually did a book uh, debuting at this year's TCAF Festival. This is the first time that Beguiling had ever published a book, and it was called uh, "Key Moments in the History of Comics," mm-hmm. and it was by one of our uh, featured guests. 
uh, Francois Roll, and uh, he didn't really have a lot of work published in English, and he was coming all the way from France. We wanted to make sure there was something really cool for people to pick up by him at the show that spoke English, you know. So we did this, we did this sort of little chapter book, and I really liked the book, and um, we had some copies left over, and we decided to solicit it through Diamond, and. I'm going to be honest, I've been looking at previous catalogs and figuring out the best way to write solicitation text for, again, the past 15, <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> and uh, we, um, you know, we talked to, to D&Q, who were, who were big supporters of TCAF, and they were nice enough to uh, solicit it for us in their section, and they made it sort of clear it wasn't a D&Q book. And uh, we got great orders on it, like mm-hmm. great, great orders. It's the second book ever published in English by a French cartoonist, and it's like a black-and-white little chapter book, and it's $10 and it's for book, I have one. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I love and, and, that book. Uh-huh. Uh, that's great. And, and we, we were totally, totally shocked, to be honest, at how, how high the numbers came in, but it just goes to show that like, if you really do position something well, and we tried to do a lot of promotion for it, being in previews and stuff like that, and the retailers came through, and Diamond came through by giving us a decent solicitation and not editing out the text too much, and you know, it, it's despite all the problems that Dustin and I are describing in the system, and they're, and they're totally real and totally valid, uh, there are ways for smart publishers to get around them and get to the retailers and sell them the books. And that's the thing that I would hope everyone takes away is that, like, the system is broken, we should all be trying to fix it, but that's no excuse not to do, you know, the legwork. That's not an excuse not to put the work in and, and try and really make your book a success. That's the... Uh... Speaking of that book, um, the key history in the moment, or key history. Ah. <laughs> Speaking of that book, <laughs> um, the, uh, one of the cool things about it is I brought some back for the store from TCAF, and the people that bought it were people that it was like almost like an impulse buy. Like I, I bet I could have sold fifty in a little a little uh, stand by the register because especially girls or. Um, People are just like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. Like, there's no real story or anything. You just kind of pick it up, flip through the pages. It was we sold out like right away. I was um, looking forward to getting that from Diamond now because we haven't been able to restock those. That is a cool little thing. Oh well, he thank you. I, I really do. Playback? Is that right? Playback was he did the art. Someone else wrote that. Yeah, it was an adaptation of Raymond Chandler, and he did the art for it. It, uh, yeah. It's uh, that that one's still technically in print, although uh, most stores don't really care. It's from it was like a really early mainstream publisher graphic novel kind of a book. Uh, anyway, sorry, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I just I just want to throw my two cents in on that. I like that book a lot. I was impressed. Oh man, thanks. I gotta say, guys, I think we're out of time. No, what? look at the time. We got just a couple minutes left. That's cool. I gotta go to kung fu practice anyway, guys. Nerd. <laughs> oh, I've got to go to uh, ninja practice actually over here. So whatever, nerds. How many how many tips does your throwing star have on it? Uh, three. Oh, is that it? That's cool. That's that's all right. That's really more of a cow drop. But uh, you know, I'm gonna yeah, go home fine. and drink. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, thank you both for coming and joining me today. Uh, uh, it was fun yeah, as always. Know. And um, folks, check out the stores of Beguiling and Heroes Aren't Hard to Find. I haven't been to Heroes Aren't Hard to Find, but one day I'll make it. But I oh, can... man, come on down. I'll treat you like a prince. All right. But I will say... Oh, I was I... talking to Christopher. Oh, oh nice. Thanks. Right. Thanks, <laughs> The Beguiling is one of the few places where I was able to find a Hugo Pratt book I needed. So just right there, it got my heart. So. Uh, we... The Beguiling, we carry everything. Beguiling.com. Uh, Beguiling.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much, guys. No problem. Uh, thank thank you. you very much. All right, bye. We'll see you. Uh, like I said, that was Christopher Butcher from The Beguiling and Dustin Harbin from Heroes Aren't Hard to Find. Uh, both very uh, f- fascinating guys. Uh, recommend checking out uh, Chris's blog, comics212.net, and Dustin Harbin. I think it's D Harbin. Com. I can't remember. I totally forgot to check it out in advance. And uh, yeah, it's D-H-A-R-B-I-N.com. And uh, he's a fine cartoonist in himself. I can't speak for Christopher's cartooning chops, but I will have to track down and find out what his comics that he did 15 years ago look like. Cause I always like seeing that kind of thing. Um, up next is uh, Japanese Music West. Um, and like I said, next week I will have... Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson on. Uh, hopefully Evan's nicer to me this time. Last time he was on, he made fun of me for an hour straight. Actually, it was kind of fun. 
I take it as a compliment when Evan Dorkin makes fun of me. And uh, that's about it, folks. See you all later. Come on, come on, come on. Come on.